Hello and welcome to the Velodrome podcast. It's our second episode. I'm Steve, your host. Some people may know me as the Velo21 guy, but as I say, today I'm your host on this Velodrome podcast. It's episode two. We really appreciate you for listening and all the feedback that we've had on the first episode. If you've still not had a chance, we speak to Simon from Velo Performance. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd really like you to hit the follow button as well so you never miss any content that's going out we're going to try and get an episode out every friday so if you hit that follow button you'll never miss an episode episode two we're diving straight in and today's guest is aiden king the cycling chef hello and welcome to the velodrome podcast thanks for having me buddy yeah no worries so um one thing i wanted to touch on it's about our relationship and how we know each other. So we're basically just uh, Instagram friends. We've never met in person, um, and we've followed each other for a, few, a good few months now. Um, and then just obviously chatted a little bit about our cycling through messages and followed each other as you do, you know, on on the gram and get that cycling community um, and building that. And then obviously Aidan does a lot of riding, some charity events and things like that. So we thought we'd get him on, have a good chat with him um, and see what it's all about. So um, welcome, Aidan. And first of all, we're going to say with on Instagram, you're known as the Cycling Chef. So which came first, being a cyclist or being a chef? Uh, it was being a chef um, straight out of college. Oh, sorry, straight out of school. Um, went into college doing catering. Didn't really know too much what I wanted to do. Um, I had some ideas of like going to university and doing astronomy and stuff and that's definitely not food related um, <laughs> but it, it comes to that choice of making a decision whether to go to college or not and just kind of went for catering because it was the easy option and that's all I've ever done since I left school so um, oh. yeah I've yeah so when was that 16, 17, 18 years old that sort of I'm 20, well, I'm 27 this year so yeah, nine, nine mm-hmm. ten years of food. Um, cycling, that started quite late for me. So 2018, I started road riding. Um, ended up giving it up for a year. For I got uh, knocked off by a car, so I kind of gave that up and oh. done mountain biking for a year. And then come back to road cycling. Uh, Covid year, so what was that? End of 2019, beginning of 2020. 2020, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, so what do it's you a weird pre- one because... Go on. What do you prefer then? Like you said, you went into mountain biking. Was that more related to the, the kind of psychological side of things for being knocked off by a car? Obviously, there's no traffic when you're out on the mountain bike. Um, that switch, was it just down to the, the, the incident or do you prefer one to the other? Um, It was it was the lack of road confidence, to be honest. Um. Because yeah. like the the car that hit me just drove off, like didn't even stop, and I ended up being in a ditch. And I was on, I was actually on my um, wow. on my work break, so I I had to get myself out of the ditch, ride back to work, and then work the evening. Um, but no, I, I wow. yeah, so it was like a, a lack of road confidence. I'd done bits of mountain biking before because I grew up doing mo- uh, motocross um, from like five six years old until well until I started college, so like sixteen seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've always been like two wheel orientated, whether it's been on the motocross bike or on the mountain bikes for fitness and stuff. Um, and I never yeah. really took up road riding, not on a road bike anyway, until um, until yeah, twenty eighteen for a year, and then gave that up because of the accident. Yeah. 
so mountain biking kind of I've always had mates that have been in that sort of riding so um it was it was pretty easy to just get on a bike and crack on and it was quite handy because I was on furlough when I was mountain biking so I, I didn't have the worries of work and stuff um which is kind of the reason why I gave up the mountain biking because I don't do any mountain biking now um yeah because so what injuries what made you what made you start cycling in the first place? What kind of got you into it? How did you start out? So f- from a young age, like with motocross, it was just a way of, like, as I got older, it was a way of keeping fitness. But from younger, we always used to go out on, like, family bike rides with dad and my mum and then my sister come along and she, well, she didn't come along, but um, she does motocross now. So we've always kind of, like, as a family, done like bicycle rides up Holden or whatever, and um, mm. like just like local bike rides. We've always been quite an active family, so it's kind of just always yeah. been natural to be doing something. And I can't stand running, so cycling's much better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same for for me, really. Like I, um, w- I was a runner. That's what I used to do, and then I got arthritis in oh, my God. feet, so I, I couldn't really run anymore um, and then we moved house and there was loads of cyclists there was a group going out from like the ha- the houses in the street it was like about five or six people in our street all were a group and they went out on a Thursday night and I just spoke to one of the neighbours and he said oh I've got I've just bought a new summer bike I've got a spare bike um, do you fancy having a go and I just got hooked and that was about 20 2012 that was so yeah I've done it for about 11 yeah. years now um, but yeah it's um, what keeps you motivated and going it, it's it's a weird one because I don't think any cycle you can ask anyone and I think Simon touched on it on the last podcast a little bit no one's yeah. ever fully motivated we we do all have days yeah. where like we just want to sit on the sofa and like, do nothing um, and Especially when I first started road riding, it was hard because I was doing like 80-hour weeks at work, um, mm. like split shifts and that, so like time was not really on my side and my cycling always worked around work, whereas uh, last April I changed jobs, so I now work part-time Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so I have like Monday to Thursday to ride and train, so now it's like a whole switch because now like life works around my cycling because that's mm-hmm. like I just have that time to I'm quite lucky that I have that time to work it all that way um, but like, I just like riding just like riding my bike I do a lot of solo riding yeah. because of the my days off being during the week um, but then I've got if I have a rare weekend off there's quite a lot there's like three or four groups that I tend to ride with um, there's a few people on like especially now the clocks are changing it's lighter evenings um, there's a lot of groups that ride out in like the evenings and stuff so it's just like riding out with people it's just you can have a really heavy stressful day and two kilometres into a bike ride and it's just completely forgotten and you know whether you're chatting away or whether you're head down looking at your power output it's, it, does, it doesn't really make a difference it's any any heaviness in your head is, is gone and I think yeah. it's and plus obviously it's keeping you fit it's, it's not yeah. doing any bad as you you touched on there like um, 
it's keeping you fit, but you're also stressing about obviously like the mental well-being side of things with that, like it sorts yeah. your head out. Um, so do you do it just for fitness, or is it is it well both really? I, I imagine then um, you know is it for your mental well-being or fitness mainly? Yeah, no, I, I I do it for both. If anything, I'd probably do it more for the mental well-being than the fitness. Um, Good. Like I, I've always been pretty active, like throughout anything I've done. Like I used to play rugby in school and hockey when I was younger and stuff like that. So I've, I've always been fairly active. Um, but like I, I think at some point in our lives we all struggle with some sort of like mental blockage or stuff that's going on that brings us down and not everyone can have a way of coping with that like some people will just sit mm. there and then it just gets worse whereas you know yeah. you, you go out on the bike and even if it's only gone for like an hour or a couple of hours and then you're back in that place when you get back at least you've had that break you've had that that chance to just kind of not worry about stuff yeah good yeah um also you want to touch on um what big challenges have you got this year or what plans have you got for 20, 2023? Um, so I've got another Everesting in June, um, which after, I've done one last year solo and I said I was never going to do mm. one again because um, it was absolutely <laughs> horrible. Um, but then um, a friend of mine, Chris, approached me because um, they are trying to break the Guinness World Record for the most Everestings I've done in a group event, um, which okay. is currently 55, which is set by um, Hales 500, who run the Everesting. Um, and we've got 100 people starting in June in the Peak District. So right. Hopefully, hopefully we can have more than 55 people finish. And I got tempted by... I said no at first. I was like, no, because the last yeah. one was horrible. <laughs> but then I thought the idea of having a Guinness World Record certificate on my wall would be quite um, quite an achievement and something that doesn't come yeah. around a lot. And plus, See, I know what, I can do an Everest because I've done one. Done one before, yeah. So you've got that mental, yeah. like, I can do this before you start it, which is a great advantage. Because yeah. a lot of it is psychological. It's not always down to the legs and everything like that. It's It's more... You know, you you break mentally, um, and if you've got yeah. that confidence, thinking I can do this going in, it really does help you. It's one thing I've never, I've never done the an Everest. Um, I I did I think about it. doing one last year. <clears throat> I wanted to do, which probably is a bit crazier. If um, one um, on the turbo, and one outdoors to see which one. Is more challenging. Um, yeah. Have you ever done one indoors, or have you? No, just I, I was going to do one this winter. I was going to do the, one this winter, um, and then I got roped mm. into one in June, and I was like, no, one a year is plenty. Um, but yeah. I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind giving one on Swift to go. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what winter next year brings. I think so. well, it's it's that year. monotony of the of the turbo trainer, and then especially with obviously with it being an Everest, it's got to be the same. Hill, hasn't it? You've got just got yeah. to be going up and down the same bit, and it's a bit monotonous, yeah. isn't it? The uh, um, and also we touched on obviously that's a future challenge for 2023. You've already done a massive 
challenge this year, which was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, following you through your social media, um, there was brilliant updates throughout your stories, which sometimes is quite difficult to do while you're trying to ride your bike and get on and, and, and do what you did. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the challenge you, you did the end of February? Yeah, so I've done a 24-hour cycle. Um, it, so I've done it for charity. I've done it for a charity called the Exit Leukemia Fund. Um, which mm-hmm. we can talk about later on, but um, mm-hmm. so I, I've done it for them, but also selfishly, I wanted to just see how far I could go. Not not worry about like I need to go this distance, I need to get to this place. Just like the time was the only thing that was like set, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I just wanted to see how far I could go but I also didn't want to like I've, I've some friends of mine have done it before and they've had like a 100k loop or whatever and they've just rid of that mm-hmm. but I know I would do one loop and then be like oh, I've got another six loops of this or whatever um, so I just headed north and just kept going mm-hmm. north I, I had a friend um, drive my car with a spare bike and some like food and stuff in so I don't have to worry about carrying stuff and mm-hmm. like spares and bits like that if anything was to go wrong which it didn't which I'm quite happy about but yeah now I just yeah. headed north um, I left Exeter um, 10 o'clock in the morning I got to Alton Towers at, it was like 9 mm-hmm. o'clock the following morning which was 402 kilometres yeah that's a big old day isn't it and you said like, one of the main reasons you kind of came to stop your knee, you were suffering with your knees, is that right? You were saying that was the point of the Yeah, so part. I, with going back to the first Everest thing I'd done last year, um, mm-hmm. like mentally, like, I finished it, but like I almost didn't because I wasn't in the right headspace at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this one, I was in a much better headspace from the start. Um, I was worried about like maybe not fueling properly for such a long event is mm-hmm. what would cause me to stop and like it was like 22 and three quarter hours I stopped in in the end because I just yeah. couldn't go no more but um yeah no just my, my left knee went um like really tight around Cheddar Gorge which was quite early on it was like 170 kilometers then but then I kind of just carried on and it was fine um and then I got to uh, Stratford, leaving McDonald's, um, had a little nap on the bike riding up a hill that I don't remember riding up, um, which was kind of wow. like the first time. That that was 7 o'clock in the morning, and that was the first time since I left 10 o'clock the previous morning that I had any sort yeah. of like Rest, close calls really. or, or, or moments oh. of like like tiredness hitting in. Um, and then my right knee just like went completely tight, like the muscle above it just went really tight, and it was just agony yeah. to to pedal. So that was three hundred and eighty kilometres in, um, and I saw the car at the top of top of this hill that I um, fell asleep on. Um, I got woken up by crashing into the hedge, which was a bit of a wake up call. I was like, no, I need to pull wow. over and have, have yeah. some gels and stuff. Because um, it's seven o'clock in the morning, so everyone was like leaving for work and stuff. Yeah. So um, we pulled over. I had had some coffee because they had some they had uh, flask and stuff in the car, 
And um, I, I just said to him, been off the route, forget like any any numbers or whatnot. I'll just, I'm so close to 400 kilometres. We'll, we'll get to 400. I'll pull over in a, a gate or a lay-by and we'll load up and we'll go and sit in a cafe, get some breakfast and then head home. Um, and then I drank some coffee, had some food, and about two kilometres down the road, I saw the signs for Alton Towers. Um, mm-hmm. And I had my I had my headphones in so I could speak to the guys in the car. And I rang them and I was like, how far is Alton Towers? And th- this whole idea that like five minutes before that, I was saying, well, I don't care where we are, we'll get to 400 kilometres and we'll stop. 400 kilometres. And now I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. That's a sign for Alton Towers there. I'd much rather... Running through my head, like... My my knee, my right knee was in pain, um, but like running through my head, I was like, I'd much rather any videos or photos of finishing at like Alton Towers or somewhere like that compared to some mm. gateway on an A road. Um, yeah, and it, it ended up being like it was ten k from where I was, so it was going to be just over four hundred kilometers. And I said, oh, yeah. we'll fit, we'll we'll finish at Alton Towers. Like I'll just follow the signs for there. Meet me there. Um, even if I have to like walk the last bit or whatever, which I don't, yeah. I don't like doing. If if I'm riding my bike, I, I want to <laughs> stay, stay on the bike the entire time. Um, but it was really weird because I don't know if you've ever been. Well, Alton Towers is up near you anyway, so you probably have been told. Yeah, yeah. Well, you but, you were um, quite clear. You came through Wolverhampton at one at one point. I got lost in Wolverhampton. I, I woke up in the morning. Like obviously, I'd, I'd followed you sort of. Through, uh, the night before, then gone to, and I, then I looked and you you'd been there. It was probably about five a.m. Maybe I don't. Yeah, it, it was. That, but yeah, it was it, early. and I'd seen that you'd been. Um, I was like, oh, he came right through walls. Like I didn't know you were coming <laughs> this like exactly this way, and, and I hadn't re- yeah, I hadn't realised. I was like, oh, he's dead close to yeah. me. I think you'd stopped at a Mackey's quite nearby. Um, yeah, we 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 stopped them. They were actually shut. They were really nice. They so they were just closing up and they were turning off. They had everything turned off apart from the coffee machine, and they opened the door right. and let us in because it uh. so it rained from like midnight till four in the morning. Um, right, like going through like Dudley and Birmingham and stuff. Um, mm. And they were actually really nice. That they opened the door, kept the coffee machine on, um, made us because there was two drivers. So there was a, made us free some coffees. Um, like they actually used the toilet and stuff I got changed um, and and then some of the staff donated as well which was r- like really nice oh lovely considering it, it was yeah. like just gone past four o'clock in the morning um, <laughs> but yeah so I got lost in Wolverhampton and then come back to a parking fine because Jeff drove through a bus lane <laughs> in the middle of oh. Wolverhampton so we got a bus lane <laughs> fine <laughs> um, but Obviously, going up to Alton Towers, it's, it's all uphill, which was mm. sounds bizarre, but it was absolutely brilliant for me because it didn't hurt my knee to be like at a constant cadence. It was like being on the flat and then going up and then going down that was really like twinging my yeah. knee. Um, so I was actually quite thankful that it was all uphill. And yeah, we fi- finished at Alton Towers and it was 400 and, 402 kilometres, but Strava mugged me off 0.3 and said it was 401.97 Always does. Bloody always Strava. does. It always does. I, th- I think it just. I've decided it just hates cyclists. That's that's <laughs> why it does it. Because <laughs> it's always the case that say you you push for like I, I, I suppose like that golden chalice that twenty miles an hour um, 
average and you'll have it on your Garmin or yeah. your Wahoo or whatever and as soon as you upload it it will say 19.9 19. 19. you, <laughs> you can guarantee it's always the guarantee same it's like I'm, yeah. I'm quite funny with my rides like if I'm on like 79 kilometres I'd just rather do a little bit more and get to like 80 80 but I always go to 80.1 now because if I just went to 80.0 I know for a fact it'd be 79.99 or something yeah that's it that's it so um, yeah you touched on uh, the charity so obviously you raise money for yeah. Elf um, so yeah t- tell us a little bit about that charity so Elf is Extra Leukemia Fund um, I first come across those um, from my boss at my new job because she sadly lost her husband to leukemia um, and um, Elf so I supported uh, her and Ray through like, the entire process from from start to finish. Um, so they're based in Exeter Hospital down here in Devon, um, and they have uh, like a centre in the in one of the wards. I think it's like Yarty Ward in the hospital, and they basically give um, support to not only patients of leukemia but also their families. Um, so that they run like services like free transport to and from the hospital for patients and like families that are with them. Um, they have a, a family centre, so when people are getting treatment and stuff, they have free refreshments, like TV and stuff, and sofas for families to be with, um, as well as like the counselling side. So they, they support mm-hmm. counselling for, for not only patients, but their families and stuff. Um, they're very... They're very on it with that if someone has leukemia or someone's going through treatment, it's not just the patient that is affected. Obviously, mainly it is the patient, but also they they do have their families. They do have other people in their lives that are affected. So, yeah, they do do a lot for for everyone that's affected, really. Um, But also they do work with other blood cancers and other blood disorders not just leukemia so they're, they're pretty okay. they're pretty spread out over everything yeah. blood, blood related yeah well it's fantastic yeah obviously um, you know you put yourself through a big physical challenge but obviously you, you got that reward that you had that uh, uh, charity to, to donate the, the money to that you've raised so yeah it's, it's fantastic doing that um, you work with some uh, brands as well that you're involved with. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about those brands that you work with? Yeah, as well? so it it really hit home on the, like the 24-hour ride um, because I had support from a, a lot of people. So, um, like kit-wise, I was using Shetvelo. Um, they're based. They're a British brand, British design, but all their clothing is. Um, Italian made so it's like really good performance really good quality really comfortable um, but also British design and British like they are a British brand um, so like comfort wise on the bike that was just brilliant I, I, mm-hmm. it, it always endurance riding it always sounds disgusting because I didn't I rode for 24 hours and I wore the same pair of bib tights <laughs> Like I changed my jerseys and stuff, but it's it's always always a weird one. Like I pack loads of clothes, thinking, "Oh, I'll get changed here, I'll get changed there," but you you don't. You do any sort of long ride, mm-hmm. and it's kind of just like 
just just keep going because you, you don't need to. Um, and there's a brand based in Hereford called Essence of Nature um, that I use for mm-hmm. um, chamois cream and muscle rub, which was really handy for my left knee when that started going at Cheddar Gorge because I just lathered loads of muscle rub on it and it kind of just numbed it a little bit. Um, and then Sturka I use for nutrition um, because I, I, I was making my own bike nutrition, but there's, there's issues that it's not issues like if, if I make my own stuff I've got to use it in like two days whereas if I buy stuff it can sit in my cupboard for months and it just it's a lot more practical to especially with something that tastes good I mean there's a lot of brands out there that just like their gels are just like generic gels and they just taste horrible taste of nothing and just feels like you're pouring slime down your throat and like bars that are like really hard to chew and don't really taste the benefit other than cardboard um Mm -hmm. so but no Sturka I've I've used quite a lot of brands but when I come to Sturka and I use their products it was I I don't know if it's a chef thing but I'd rather something tasted good like and then worry about the performance side and how much grams of carb and stuff is in it as long as as long as I know what I like how much I need to be eating I'm fine, but I'd, I'd much rather something tasted good. Now, that's that's a priority, I think. It, and it's the same with anything, like even even off the bike, like when I'm eating food, like I'd rather something tastes good and then worry about how much protein's in it, how much carbs is in it, and I, I'd just rather something tastes good because if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to eat it, no matter how much how good it is for you or or what nutritional value is in it. Um, and the last one is um, Andy Turner at ATP Performance, who's um, he's a coach, and he used to ride for Swift Carbon, um, a British team mm. that that well went as most British teams have recently have just unfortunately kind of gone, yeah. um, and unfortunately that's the way it is, especially with COVID and the way the economy is and stuff. Um, but he's he's not just a coach, so it's like he's very performance based across the board so like strength training nutrition um and he he was he's been a great help like off the bike just as much as he has been on the bike um especially with getting mentally set for sitting on a bike for 24 hours because <laughs> mm. like I, I knew i knew my legs would be okay because i've done like the everesting and stuff was like 22 hours i I thought I didn't think it was going to be my legs or my knees that were given up. I thought it was going to be not fueling or not being in the right headspace. But mm-hmm. he kind of kept me straight and made sure that it wasn't going to be my legs that did go, and they did. But not for a fit, not for a lack of preparation or a lack of training. Just I think it was more yeah. the cold and just constant yeah, bending maybe. of the knees. Yeah. Yeah, because um, obviously being the uh, end of February, it was quite a cold time of year, isn't it? Still. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I was really lucky with the weather. Like it was dry. I well, I had rain from midnight until four. Um, yeah, in the morning, but it was dry. It, it was quite cold. Like through the night it was quite cold. But um, I use an app called Windsock, and I look at my headwind afterwards, and it was eighty six percent headwind for the entire ride. It was like sixteen and a half hours of headwind. I was like, yeah, that probably didn't help. <laughs> That's the problem going in one direction, isn't it? 
Um, it it's would always be great be if you'd had that tailwind, but yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, a tailwind, and maybe like in a flat road in Mallorca or something would be quite nice for the, if I do it again. Yeah. Sunshine and yeah, flat. Yeah, go to a warm. Tailwind. Yeah, a warmer, <laughs> a warmer country. <laughs> so, obviously, Anywhere you touched a bit on. Yeah, you touched on your nutrition a little bit there um, with the brand that you use, and that you also said, though, that you used to do your own stuff. Um, so what what sort of thing would you what's your go to food on the bike when you were making your own stuff? What would you what would you sort of make for yourself? Just out of interest. So um there's quite a few recipes that I would use. Um a lot of them are um from Alan Merchantson, the performance chef. You you might mm. you might know him. He's um yes, yeah. he used to be a Michelin Michelin star chef and then he's very good on a time trial bike. Um and I've got a couple of his books. And they're just like adaptions to that. So there's, I will, I would always make the same because it would just be constant. It's just easier. I don't have to worry about buying lots of stuff if I have like two recipes that I always do. Like you can just have the same stuff. So um, he's got a really good fruit and nut flapjack. Um, mm-hmm. But when you when you cook it, you press it so you can cut it into like really neat bars and wrap them so they don't like break up and crumble like a normal flapjack would. Okay. Um, uh, and then he's got a date and ginger bar, um, which is like it kind of like Malibu's to a paste, and then like you roll it out and cut it. But um, they're like really, really easy to digest. Like you can just put it in your mouth, and it will kind of like just like melt in your mouth. Um, which the the flapjack is like really good because you can just put literally anything in it, like fruit, nuts, any mm. fruit, any dried fruit, any nuts you want. You can. Um, and the date and ginger bar tastes really good, but it was more for like just ease of eating because they're just like yes. really really soft. It, it's kind of like eating a jelly, but like softer but firmer. If that makes sense, it's like really easy okay. to eat, but it, it it doesn't like it doesn't like crumble in your pocket or like move in your pocket. Yeah, because that consistency kind of thing when when you're eating it is really important, isn't it? Because if you can't, because when you're cycling, you're a bit out of breath, and if you've got a mouthful of something that you then can't get down, and you're trying to breathe at the same time, it can be quite awkward. Because yeah. I remember when I first started, I wasn't really looking at sort of energy bars and stuff, and it was just like, oh, what's good, a Mars bar? But you try to eat a Mars bar while riding, yeah. it's yeah. really hard to do. <laughs> you you really, may as well just really have hard. a mouthful of chewing gum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so... Yeah, the, the, the whole consistency thing is, is like, just as important as like how it tastes or how it performs um yeah because like you said like the last thing you need to be doing is when you're trying to fuel is actually burn be burning calories by chewing non-stop especially if you're doing like if you're doing like an endurance event and that and you're like fueling on a climb because you can't really fuel going down a hill because it's just way too dangerous to be in when you're going down a hill um but yeah you, you don't want to be like you said, out, out of breath, like with a mouthful of food chewing, and you can't <laughs> digest it at all because you just end up making yourself sick. Yeah. So, uh, what else do we need? So, we're moving on a little bit now. Um, with regards to how many bikes do you own? Oh, 
It's M plus one. That's the issue with bikes. <laughs> so yeah. I, I've got two. I, I've got, I've got what is meant to be my summer bike, which summer in Devon is not really summer. Um, and then I've got my, my turbo bike, which was my winter bike, but I've cracked the frame, so it's just staying on the turbo now. So I'll just iron up a gravel bike at the minute. But currently too, okay. but that's always going to change, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's always the next one, isn't there? So, um, yeah. are you are you uh, a calf stop cyclist? Do you, do you enjoy going out and and doing the calf stop thing? I know you said you do do a lot solo, and the calf stop to me always seems to be that Sunday ride, that group event. Because um, for me, I'm not a fan of it. To be honest, it's uh, once I've stopped, I just can't get going again. That's my issue. It. it for me it depends on the ride I'm doing like if I'm because I'm off Monday to Thursday I do a lot of solo riding um, mm. but normally I've got other stuff to, so if I'm out by myself if it's like two or three hours or more then I will um, more for the coffee than the cake I'm not really I don't know if it's because I just make cakes a lot of work and eat a lot of cake at home and stuff but I'd, I'd, I'd rather have something savoury and a coffee Um so yeah, if I'm doing like a two or three hour ride, or more, solo or yeah, well I'll go with solo for the minute. But like solo, then I will. Um, if I do anything short, I I don't normally because I've got a coffee machine at home, so I just ride and then make my coffee when I get home. Um, and then if I go out with a group again, I've got a group that I ride with on a Tuesday evening, um, and we don't because we're out for like an hour, hour and a half. But if I go out on like a social club ride or something, then yeah we we do but again it's normally a coffee and something savory or just a coffee to be honest i'm not really not really a fan of i'm a fan of cake but not not when i'm on the bike i just i for me i don't see i see it as a treat rather than like good for you and if you're doing say 160 kilometer ride 100 mile ride and you're 50 miles in like you're only halfway. Have a treat when you finish. <laughs> like mm. I, I don't. I the work. I wouldn't want to fill my stomach up with cake and that, and then have to get back on the bike. And you always feel really bloated, and you can't get going again. And um, but it, yeah, no. I'm, I'd rather have a coffee, but only if only if I deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um... You did a big ride yesterday. Was there any calf stops then? I think there was, wasn't there? There, there was. Um, so, um, one of my friends, Dave, that I think you, well, you know, Dave. Um, yeah. He's he's moving up to Dorset, so we had like a little farewell group ride um, with a few of the guys down our way, and the the plan was to go to Croyd from Exeter and then back, like via a different route. Um, and a few people's legs started going, so we had we had a cafe stop earlier than anticipated, and we cut the ride like twenty kilometres short, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we had a cafe stop there, but again, it was coffee and a sandwich. Everyone else was like, "Oh, they had pizza." I was like, "Oh no, I don't want pizza." And they were like, "Coffee, sandwich, cake, coffee, tea." I was like, "Oh god, no, I'll just have a coffee and a sandwich." Yeah, <laughs> just I, I I know getting back on the bike and having ninety kilometres left to do is like. I'd rather not have a full stomach of really sugary processed cake. Yeah, 
that's it. Um, I'm the same. Like I, I do. If I do stop, I do tend to have a cake rather than a lot of the time. If people are having breakfast and things, I can't have anything with any grease at all. Um, yeah. So I tend to be like a like a like a flapjack or a cake. Um, and I always have a flat white coffee. Um, well, it's got to be a flat yeah, white. Yeah, that's the only way to go. I can't. I can't get going. I can't get going again after it. It's just the next sort of the first two minutes of hell, and then it's just a little yeah. bit less for the next about half an hour, and then it then starts to come back. But I just I I hate the sitting for too long. Um, if we yeah, can pop in and do two, sit for two minutes and then get going again, I'll be fine. But it's that kind of it, it never is though. It's no. Yeah, you sat there for like half an hour, an hour. And you start to get cold because, like, I don't know if it's just me, but if I go to a cafe, like, I take my layers off because you, you've been sat in those layers for like all day, and I, I, I'd rather like take them off and like air out and then put them back on and kind of like warm back up as you ride. But yeah, no, I, I'd much rather go to a cafe. Like, if I'm by myself and I stop for a coffee, I'll, I'll go in, get the coffee, have the coffee, and go. I'll be there like ten minutes mm. max. Um. Because you can just stay in that routine then. Like, even on the 24-hour ride, I, I, I made a load of food and had it in the car. And I would stop for, like, 10, 15 minutes and carry on. Because I knew if I sat any longer, I, I wouldn't get back up. We um we stopped in McDonald's at Dudley at, like, four in the mor- uh, five in the morning. And um had some food. And, like, we were sat there for, like, 20 minutes half. We'll go now. And it was like an hour later, and we were like, we should probably go now. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> as, soon, as soon as you stop. And, and then it just makes it harder and harder to, to get going again. But like like yesterday's ride, so I had a sandwich and a coffee at the, at the, um, at the calf because I still had some bars and gels and stuff. Um, and then we got back into Exeter, and I was like, oh, like, I'm 10 minutes from the car now, like, so then I pulled into a garage and got like a sausage roll, so just something savoury. Mm. So I was really craving something like hot. Um, and plus, my sandwich wasn't overly nice. Uh, <laughs> That's the worst thing when you spend nice money in a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, you buy something, and you're like, oh, like this will this will be this it's lunchtime. This will be a lovely lunch, and you're there like, yeah, this is definitely not worth the six quid that it just cost me. Yeah. For like a sandwich and some crisp poured out of a packet onto a plate. <laughs> so, uh, moving on a little bit now again, we are uh, dream bike, money no object. We've just touched on sort of how many bikes you own, it's always N plus one. So, you, you, there's always sort of one um, that you may be looking at or you're interested in. It's like, what's the dream bike, money no object? It's always really cliche because you ask anyone and they're going to say S Works or Pinarello, or but I, I don't think I'm, like, I'm six foot se- I'm six foot seven. So for me, finding a bike yeah. is quite hard anyway. Um, yeah. But ever since I got into road riding, um, like I used to mountain bike tracks and I had some tracks when I was younger. Um, so I've always wanted like a nice top end range ish. Like Trekamonda, um, mm. because I'm I'm not aero, so there's no point in me having a Madone because I'm I'm not aero. I'm like a human parachute. Um, so, 
as as a reward to myself for doing Land's End to John the Groats last year, um, I got myself a Trekamonda. I got the 22 SL7 um, with like SRAMI tap and stuff. And I, I, I thought if I'm spending the money that I did on it, I want it to be like my my dream build as as such and like how I want it because I'm not very good with money. So um, the fact that I was doing it, it was like I'd only I'd want to do it once. So it's weird, but I've kind of already got my dream build. Um, I mean, if money was no object, I would like upgrade it to Shram Red. But I mean, in terms of like buying an S-Wax or a Pinarello, that just doesn't really do it for me. Like I'd rather. I don't know. I think I'd rather, if like money was no object, I'd rather put that money somewhere else. Like, even if it was investing in a small brand or something like that, I'd rather do that than spend it on a bike. Because okay. I, I'm a I'm a big believer that like you you can have a two hundred pound bike and go and ride a bike, and you could ride two hundred miles on a two hundred pound bike. It's just not going to be as pleasant as doing it on a eight nine grand bike, but you can <laughs> still do it. Like. Obviously, I've, I've I spent quite a lot on on the track, but I've still got my eight hundred pound cube, which is well now my turbo bike because it's broken. But I don't land center John and Groats on the cube, mm. like not the track, like the, the Everesting I've done on the cube. So it's, that's why I haven't just been the been the cube because it, it's it's been through quite a lot. Yeah, but would the experience be any different if I'd done those events on the track I mean it'd probably be more comfortable and it'd probably be a bit quicker but yeah. I would have still would have still done it on whatever bike so I'd rather if money was no object I mean it doesn't really matter if you're buying a bike or not because you've, you've obviously got the money so I'd rather like invest it in a small brand or something cycling related or okay. I do quite a lot for chat. Do a lot for charity, so I'll probably just give some to charity. To be honest, I, I just uh, don't. I don't. I don't see the point in spending if you've got a seven grand bike. The the difference between an eight hundred pound bike and an eight grand bike is massive in terms of like weight and components. But mm-hmm. the difference between an eight grand bike and a fourteen thousand pound bike, like it's minimal. The the higher up the range you get, it's just like less and less worth it because. Unless you're a pro or like you're you're going to be a strong racer and you're looking at um, like marginal gains to like every single watt, anything over like five six grand is just not worth it. If you're just especially if you're doing endurance, like I don't I'm not bothered by marginal gains. I mean I I don't I don't I don't like stuff on my bike, but like I'd quite happy go out with bar bags and stuff on. And not worry about it being less aero or mm. being a little bit heavier. Like, but I just don't. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. And that's probably a really unpopular opinion <laughs> because I know so many people <laughs> go. Well, I'll, yeah, I, I just know so many people go. Oh yeah, I've a Dogma F or I've an SL7. I know you and Simon were saying about uh, SL7s on the last podcast. Yeah, but then like we touched on the fact that Simon said. Everyone seemed to have one when he went out to Mallorca. He said that's, everyone that's in the Stock had one, and I said then yeah. I was like, "Is it marketing?" Because everybody knows that bike. Everybody knows that bike, and it's just this kind of 
look at look at what I've got kind of thing. Um, because yeah. it's you know it's it's like you say it's sort of eight to twelve thousand pounds. That bike is depending on what sort of group set you yeah. get, which is a phenomenal amount of money to spend on a bike, isn't it? It's it, just, it is. But but then also you get a lot of people that have a lot of money and spend it on like an SL7 or like an S-Works but then only ride like 20 miles and then mm-hmm. they, they they not take it for granted but they, they, they know that they can afford it so they just do yeah. it whereas you then also get people that are really good riders or, or like, uh, like amateur athletes and stuff on budget bikes because maybe they can't afford it or like their, their families can't afford it like but there's no I, I was at a woman's cycling talk in Bristol um, a couple of weeks ago and someone summed it mm-hmm. up there there's no there's no like groups or programs to bring like underprivileged families and stuff like into cycling there's this whole there's this whole idea that if you're going to get into cycling you need lots of money because everything's so expensive but you you can you can go and do a crit race, which is like say ten pounds to enter, or a time trial, which is like a fiver, and get the say you can get so much enjoyment from doing it on even like a hundred pound bike or a bike from Halfords, or mm. it, it it doesn't. There's this whole picture that because the way social media works, like everything is like oh like fancy new bike, like trams new components or whatever is all like money money money, but there's no there's no one posting like them doing a time trial on a Carrera or like mm. on a Halfords bike because you just don't you the way the way it works on social media with this whole I, I've done a post on it on, on my feed the other day that mm. everyone and I do the same but everyone posts like really fancy photos or like finishing a race yes. and the photo with their medal or but you you don't really see people in like their dark moments um which is why I posted some really horrible photos of me and McDonald's at five o'clock in the morning on the twenty-four hour ride. But you know, like, if people are cycling from like a young age on cheaper bikes, they they shouldn't feel almost ashamed to like turn up to a crit race on that cheaper bike, like in mm-hmm. baggy PE shorts and a t-shirt. Like they should. There's, there's so much elitism around just the sport in general especially if you like racing and time trials and stuff yeah yeah definitely um there's almost like like you say that that snobby side of things isn't there? there's a, obviously a term like for the rafa kit wearer for example and things like that that they, they yeah. don't wave to people and there's that stigma behind that but that's all like you say like social media driven and that post that you did was fantastic mm. about that kind of Oh yeah, look at this, look at this, look at this, isn't this great? The Insta versus reality kind of post that yeah. actually to get to this this has to happen, but this doesn't get seen. No, it, it was like what one of the photos on that post was me at six o'clock in the morning eating a Big Mac and a coffee at McDonald's <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> soaking wet cycling clothing and a coat. But I like I, I do it all the time. I, I wouldn't normally post like photos like that. Like the first yeah. post I done after the twenty four hour ride was a reel, and the photos that um, one of the drivers, Jeff, um, is also a photographer, so he took like some photos. And uh, I was scrolling through my Instagram, and it's like, oh yeah, like fancy photo there, like photo shoot photo there. It's 
and like you know photo of the the bike in like a nice sunny background and stuff but it's like even if you're out on the bike and it chucks it down you don't post a photo of you in the rain you post a photo of it's you when you dry it's always mm-hmm. it's it's always the same and we, whether we're we know we're doing it or not you look through anyone's instagram and it's all it's always the same but it, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way because it's not you can do even if you do a time trial it's and you're there happy with a photo of you on the podium you've had 25 mm-hmm. minutes of suffering before that like you know your your heart rate's through the roof but you you don't you don't see that you just see I, I, I want a time trial I come third on a time trial I've got a PB here I've got a PB there it's never yeah. I was hanging out my ass there yeah <laughs> true true so um, we've touched on bikes and everything like that so what would be the dream ride where or like destination to go where you'd absolutely love to ride a certain road or a certain area so Obviously, I'm I'm still quite new to road riding, so I'm, I've not actually been abroad on the bike, so anywhere abroad, to be honest. Um, I was talking to Joe, one of the guys on the ride yesterday, about going out next year to Mallorca and doing Mallorca 312, which I've wanted to do before, but the whole logistics of getting a bike abroad kind of confuses me, so I'm yeah. quite glad that he, he said about that and doing it in a group. Um, so uh, just anywhere abroad, I, I would love to go... I'm quite tall and I'm quite heavy, so I'm really not a climber. Apart from doing the the Everest things and that, but I think that's more endurance based than climb, like climbing. Um, yeah. So like, I would like like to go out to like the Pyrenees or do some big climbs, like Sacralobra if we go to Mallorca or like the Stelvio, which I'm very jealous that you said you've been at the Stelvio. Yeah. In your last podcast. Well, um, that's the. I, I would just that's like the only to, place that. Like, that's the only place I've. Like you touched on, you hadn't been abroad yet. That, I mean, I'd cycled for 10 years um, last year, um, and that's the first time I'd ever been abroad. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice in the sense that the uh, the road users seem a bit more friendly than they do in the UK, Yeah. Um, to be honest, as well. But, yeah, the Stelvio Pass is definitely one to mark up. Yeah. To, uh, to like, we dro- I, I we have... drove there. Yeah, I, I have a big bucket list of like places I wanted to go, and the ones outside the UK I'm not ticking off very quick. But especially with the way work is at the minute and changing jobs and being part time, there's a lot more time for that now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so I'm hoping Mallorca's on the cards for early next year. Um, but like, I've, when we done Anzens John and Groats, like I'd never been to Scotland, so when we done Anzens mm-hmm. John and Groats, the fact that we cycled to Scotland was kind of like, oh. Um, and we left Inverness on like I think it was day seven because we'd done it over eight days, and um, we were on like the A nine I think it is like the the main road out of Inverness like north, mm-hmm. um, like three lanes is like massive road, and uh, we've got drone photos, and we're there's six of us on the bike on the support car, and the drone is up and you can see about two miles down the road and there's nothing. You've got the highlands on the left, you've got the coast on the right, this main road, this A road, and there's six cyclists, like, two by two, and, like, no cars, like, absolutely stunning. The sun was out, it was, like, like that. In the moment, I think you're kind of, like, overwhelmed by it all, like, 
Yeah. Especially with having a goal to get to, and like we were like, right, just head down. But seeing that photo with like the drone above us looking down on us on this this A road, and it just opens the whole thing up. Um. But yeah, no, like I, w- I wouldn't mind going to Scotland some more because that just looked. I mean, we were quite lucky that we had sun. It was cold, but we yes. had the sun and it was dry. Yeah. I imagine it's quite miserable if it's raining up there. But um, and like the Lake District, we went up Lake Windermere and then up the Struggle and down Kirkston Pass. Um, so I wouldn't mind riding up there a bit more because mm. as good as it would be to go abroad, I think we have a lot here in the UK that people don't ride, yeah. like the the lakes. And like the peak districts and stuff, I, I'd rather. I'd, you could do that in a, like a long weekend, whereas if you go abroad, mm-hmm. you know, you'll fly. You gotta. You you can't just drive. You can't just drive yes. somewhere, get a cheap Airbnb, ride for a couple of days, and come out. Mm. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> one, you touched on riding in Scotland. One ride that I'd considered. I've always fancied doing this. I've never done. Uh, lead jog either but uh, NC500 which is the coastal ride you just ride all the way around Scotland always on the coast though that's the only thing that it's everyone says it's it's windy it's windy because you're constantly on the coast I I wouldn't mind giving that a go to be fair because we so we done part of the North Coast 500 route on the way to John O'Groats and um, one of the guys that I got on with like really well have stayed in contact with since then um, Darren, we've spoke about doing that and getting like a camper van, having someone drive the camper, just ride until we're tired, sleep. Because we, when we done Ancestor to John Gates, we got like we had hotels. It was all planned. We like this day we're doing this, that day we're doing that. But some days yeah. like we could have done an extra forty, fifty kilometers more, or yeah. like some days we like a harder day. We didn't get in until like midnight, whereas we could have like cut that back a bit. But because we had hotels yeah. to get to, it's kind of like you you can't. But no, we we have said about doing the North Coast Five Hundred, maybe getting like a group, getting like a an, an eight man camper van hired or something, and like going up in a group and just just ride. But like to ride to take it in rather than ride to race it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Another one for the bucket list. That's it. Sad in a while. Yeah, the bucket list. It's getting so, longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With that, I think that's about everything, really. Um, thank you for coming on um, this episode and, and chatting to us. Thank, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been nice. It's been yeah. different. I don't normally do this sort of stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice to chat to it's you. Not, it's nice talking so, about yeah. yeah, that's it. That's, that's what it was about, really. It was just kind of... The reason we started the podcast was just about kind of chatting to cyclists about their cycling and just having a chat about bikes and riding them. That was it, really, and yeah, that's exactly what you've done for us today. So thank you very much. It, it's nice because, obviously, we spoke quite a lot on Instagram and there's so many people that I talk to on Instagram and stuff but don't know mm-hmm. in real life, and it, it's, it's been quite nice to just chat, like, kind of yeah. in person. Obviously, we're, we're, we're on Zoom, but it, it's, yeah. it's nice to talk not typing for a change yeah wow that was fantastic speaking to Aidan there what a a fantastic young cyclist he is that he's pushing himself to do these charity events and everything like that like we talked about the Everest that he said that was one of the hardest things he's ever done and that 
he's pushing himself to do another one so it just shows his pure grit and determination and passion for cycling which is absolutely fantastic now if you don't follow Aiden on um, Instagram I really recommend you do so if you search for the cycling underscore chef so the cycling underscore chef give Aiden a follow and then you can see all his updates and what he's got coming up so we really thank Aiden for his time today and we also thank you for listening so keep an ear out for the next episode of the Velodrome podcast I've been Steve the host thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon